Welcome to the Custom Apparel Startups Podcast, your best source for information, news, tips, and tricks to get you off the ground running and earn success with your custom apparel decorating business. So get ready to soak up some knowledge. Now, here are your hosts, Mark and Mark. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Custom Apparel Startups Podcast. My name is Mark Vila, and it's just me today. I don't have Mark Stevenson here. Uh, We're working from home separately right now, so I've decided to do episode 122 for you and hopefully bring you some really good content about the custom apparel business. Today's episode is the types of apparel businesses, where they go, how to win. Okay, so we want to talk about all the different types of businesses that are out there. Just like people, every business is unique. And also just like people, you can kind of get into categories of businesses, just like categories of people, right? You can think of uh, the children versus the middle-aged versus elderly as groups of people. And even though all these groups have very much different individuals amongst them, there you could still categorize and treat some of these groups differently. For example, the uh, youth have to go to school, right? Things like that. So we're going to talk about some of the different types of businesses out there, which one you might be. So you'll be able to define clearly define what type of business you are right now. And then we're going to talk about how would you, what are the pros and cons of these businesses? So what are their strengths and weaknesses? And that knowledge will help you to determine how to deal with them. And what I mean by deal with them is What if you're up in a position to partner with one of them? What if you're up against selling versus one of them, right? One of your customers is considering leaving you to go to another business, or possibly you're trying to woo a business to come leave one of those businesses to come do business with you, right? Or maybe it's a brand new customer and they're shopping around and who are you up against and how do you win, right? The goal would be, for you to have success. And that's what we're here to help you do. So let's just kind of get in right into that and start with the different levels. And we're going to start at the the smallest, the bottom, just like um, we might start with uh, a baby if we're talking about, you know, groups of people. So um, the first one we'll talk about is what I'm calling, I've made up all these names, by the way, um, also, let's go ahead and do a quick aside um, so you can see some things that are going on in my background, right? Because I'm at home now, so you get to see some of my personal stuff. So one thing up here, if you're watching the video, you get to see this, but I've got an original first edition of a newspaper that my father started in uh, 1987, and it was called Hispanic Market News. And this newspaper was uh, designed to educate businesses about the upcoming and growing Hispanic market in the U.S., right? So um, how Hispanic, how Hispanics choose to buy food and, and how they interact with advertising and marketing, things like that. So I'm proud to have that up. That was a business my father started. And um, then below that, I've got this reward, that, this award that he got. Um, and this is a longer story, but I'll give you a short version of it. We've got super Q on the top there. He was a general manager of a radio station for some years. And, uh, we've got lifelink on the bottom there, who was a organ transplant organization. And, uh, my father had an organ transplant and he was in radio. So, um, it's pretty cool. 
excuse me, I'm fixing my headset too here. So, um, and then I've got a palm tree because I live in Florida and I just thought that art was cool. So just sharing a little personal stuff about me um, and what's going on bes beside me here. So um, let's, all right, let's go into the list now and um, write some stuff down, make some mental notes, figure out where you are and how you are going to deal with these different types of businesses that you'll run into. So the first is the pure hobbyist, okay? This technically isn't even a business, right? This is just somebody who's doing this for fun. They have a cricket cutter or a home embroidery machine, or maybe they just order transfers off somewhere off the internet for their friends. Um, typically, everything they're doing is for presents or favors, Okay. Um, they often are doing the labors. They don't charge anything for labor almost ever. Right. And if they are charging any money, it's maybe they're making some t-shirts for a bunch of people to go on vacation with. And it's typically within their family and they're asking everybody to throw in, you know, the six bucks for the shirts. Right. So, uh, they're, so the pros of this business, right? The what's the pro for the owner, right? Is that um, it's literally just for fun. That's it. They like to do it. Okay. They're not necessarily going to go away or go out of business or unless they just stop thinking that making t-shirts is fun or stop doing custom embroidery is fun. Right. So that's, that's one of the pros of their business is um, that it's not a business, right? There's nothing to succeed in. As long as they love doing embroidery, they're going to continue to do it. Right. Um, but there are a lot of cons to them as an entity, meaning that if you are up, if you say find out that um, in your circle of friends, right, and 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 associates, right, and you probably sell to a lot of these people, right, you've got um, a friend that owns a lawn company, and you provide the t-shirts to them. You've got a friend who owns a mortgage company, and all of their polos, you do the logos on it, right? You have a friend who owns a plumbing company, and you make hats for them and uniforms. So within that group of people, somebody might say, oh, my wife just got a cricket, so I can make some shirts for you guys too, right? And that would be um, a point of frustration for a business owner, because you say, listen, I'm doing this for a living. Now this person's going to come in and do this stuff for free. It's going to cost me, you know, money's coming out of my pocket because this person's willing to do labor for free. I've heard people talk about this before. So first we'll talk about why that's actually not a long-term worry for you. Um, for one, this is a hobby, so it costs money. It's not, and it's not cheap to make t-shirts, right? You know, you know that now, if you've been in the business for a bit, or if you're learning about it, making t-shirts isn't necessarily cheap. If you're going to make a hundred shirts, you're putting possibly uh, 500 or more dollars just into the supplies, right? I mean, just considering some rare, some interesting averages, right? It could be 500, 700, $800 and just supplies to make a to make a hundred t-shirts. So it's not a small amount of money when you're considering just what the average person has in their bank, right? So it's not cheap to make custom t-shirts and um, a, hobbyist, a hobby is a, a loss. It is a net negative of money to you, to your life, right? If you go fishing or hunting or golf or whatever you have as your hobby, it costs you money to have a hobby right? So it's not necessarily sustainable to say that this, um, 
somebody in your circle that you know, of friends and associates, got a cricket, and all of a sudden they're just going to start taking all that business from you. That's not sustainable for them. Even if somebody who's a hobbyist takes some money, they typically are at a loss, right? And, and it's just typical. They feel guilty about making money off of these people. And the reason I know this is because I've been in this industry since 2008. I've talked to tons of people who are hobbyists, were hobbyists, started as hobbyists and own a business. And that is the mindset of almost all of them. They feel guilty about taking money because this is for fun and it is not sustainable. It is a money pit, not a money generator. So they simply can't do large orders, consistent orders over time. And as soon as they have to do an order that's kind of for fun, and it's say a 25 shirt order and they miss their kid's soccer game, right? They miss their kid's dance recital because they're, they were dealing as soon as that happens, the hobby's over or at least doing things like this, making, making uh, shirts for businesses is over. Now the hobby is just, Hey, listen, this is just going to be for me, my family. Maybe I'll do something for my cousin's family. That's it. This is just for fun. Um, also there's, tons of dormant crickets out there that people were gung-ho into it for three months and then they quit because they realized that making t-shirts is, uh, is work, which is why um, you listening to this are making money from it <laughs> um, because it's a good amount of work to do this stuff. And you're going to go ahead and make money from that because that's basically how our world works, right? You make a profit off of the work that you do. So now that we've got the hobbyist out of way, how to deal, how do you deal with them? Um, you be their friend for sure. Be connected and be close with hobbyists. That is one of the best things you can do. They're going to be a source for referral business. They are going to consistently get people up to them. Oh, you make shirts? Will you make me 20? No, I, I don't. You know, I don't do that. I tried it once before and I missed my daughter's dance recital because I was making plumbing t-shirts and never doing that again. I just make stuff for my family. But a good friend of mine owns a shop. And I can refer you to them, right? And that's what you're getting for. So many of our customers at Coldesi and Coleman and Company get referral business from hobbyists. And it doesn't matter if it's people who have cricket machines or if it's people who have home embroidery machines. We hear about it all the time that there are people in little you know Facebook groups and things like that. And then somebody asks, hey, my cousin needs 100 hats done. And boom you can get that referral business. So there's what I call the pure hobbyist. It's just for fun for them. It's really not to worry about. You shouldn't stress about pure hobbyists really taking any significant portion of your business for a long period of time. So um, next we're going to, what, we, uh, what I call this one, the side hustler. Okay. Um, I actually really like the side hustler because this is a work ethic thing, but it's um, usually one person, maybe two, maybe two people the owner has a full-time job and they're doing this as a side business to earn extra income um, off of their in addition to their full-time job it's usually run off of off hours so it's typically nights and weekends and the goal uh the financial goal of the side hustle is usually modest um yeah, if i can make 500 dollars a month if i can make a thousand dollars a month um that's these financial goals so you can put um a little bit of work into making some money as a side hustle and people do it. So what are the pros of this? Um, it's typically a low cost of ownership. Side hustles are set up, don't even have necessarily official setups in a house, right? It might be part of the living room is a cart table with a heat press and a cutter on it, or 
a, a digital heat effects printer and uh, and a heat press in a garage, you know, with with uh, just a plastic table they got from Walmart for sixty bucks. Um, there's typically no rent, no employees, no real cost, and probably not even a website for a lot of them. They maybe just have a Facebook page, and that's what a good amount of side hustles start as. So the pros of a side hustle are the costs are really low, so you can stay in business indefinitely. You don't have to necessarily make a big profit to stay in business. You might be financing equipment that's you know, um, a couple hundred dollars a month or less than a hundred dollars a month. And you're staying in business just by doing 10, 20 shirts, right? So a side hustler, um, can compete and do really well because for one, they don't have to sell something every week. They can operate a nice low margin, which means they can semi compete with price too. A side hustler can afford to not make say, uh, a 30% margin. They can they can probably profit and be profitable off of a 15 or 20% margin at time depending depending on of course how well uh, a side hustler manages their time. Um that's a that's a different conversation to be had. So um a side hustler can typically stay in business because they don't need to make a lot of money and any money that they make is a win, right? So those are some of the prize, pros of being um a side hustler. So some of the cons are, um, especially, and we'll talk about dealing with side hustlers and competing with them, but since this is a second business, the second job for them, it's very volatile for side hustlers. And that doesn't mean that if somebody, if you are a side hustler now that you're going to go out of business, because we just said, you're probably not going to go out of business. It's volatile, meaning that a side hustler says, um, either one of two things in mind, usually from what I hear, at least one is you like your full-time job. Maybe you're a teacher or, um, or something that you own a small business, a different small business, whatever it is. Maybe you just like doing your job, but you want to make some more money. You don't want to quit your job. You don't want to stop being a teacher, but you would like to have an extra thousand dollars a month. So you have this small side hustle business. But, um, what if, as you're a teacher, what if say in you doing the side hustle for two years and then somebody says offers you um, some sort of a, um, a promotion within your teacher, teaching job? I, I don't know much about the structure of a school, but let's just, um, I, I assume the principal or the vice principal maybe makes more than in, in, uh, a teacher, right? So maybe at some point in time, you get offered to be the vice principal. Well, that right there maybe is that extra thousand dollars a month. And then you take your side hustle and you just say, you know what, I'm not going to work as hard because I'm making more money in my full time and I'll just do it on occasion, right? So that side hustle business is volatile. Um, you'll also have people in side hustles that will um, be tired. They don't want to work all of that time. They decide they want to. It's for a temporary period of time, right? I'm going to do all of this to make a bunch of money until we can afford our Disney cruise or something like that. They make that. $5,000 and then they back off of it. So side hustles are volatile and I wouldn't put a lot of worry into um, if you run into a side hustler as one of your competition that probably in six months something will change for them or a year or two years, right? And you're going to find more side hustlers will do it for a period of time and back down, right? And which is what I like about that. If you are a side hustler now or thinking about B1, that's what I like about that business is that it gives you the freedom to scale up and scale down as your desire to make more income changes. Um, the other side hustler I was going to mention is the person who is a side hustler. They hate 
their full-time job, right? They're sick of the grind. They're sick of the nine to five. They don't like their boss. They don't like the money they make. They don't like everything about it. So they're starting up a side hustle. This side hustle will eventually be their full-time job. They are, um, they are a little bit less volatile because they really have a goal to get out of this. It's more than just going on a cruise or a vacation or buying some extra stuff for their house. They want a full lifestyle change, right? So those are the couple types of side hustlers. And um, how do you deal with them if you're in competition with them? Okay. So um, much like a hobbyist, I'm going to say anyone who has a side hustle that you run into that they have a part-time t-shirt printing business or embroidery business that they run. And it's actually a legitimate business, right? They have um, like a, probably a business bank account or they're at least taking money for orders for profit. I'll say, I'll use that as the minimum. They're trying to make money. Then you've got to have a great connection with them. If you are um, another side hustler for one, like I mentioned, volatility of this business. So if you meet somebody else who has the same type of a t-shirt side hustle that you have, you've got to be friends with them, partner with them, talk with them because one day they might get that vice principal promotion that I mentioned, right? Or one day they're just going to say, you know what? We're having another kid. Uh, we, we don't, we're not going to have time to do this business and you're going to be handed customers, right? You're all, they're also going to say, Hey, I got an order for 50 shirts. I could use some help. Can you somehow work with me in helping to make transfers or press them onto the t-shirts or whatever it might be? And you might be able to split some jobs. Um, if you're, a, if you, you also might be a little bit more sophisticated than them. So their, their side hustle business might be particularly small and you've got, maybe they just have a cutter and you have a, um, a, a digital printer, like a digital heat press, a digital heat effects or uh, a DTG you know, the, you're, so you might have a different technology or a better technology where you can do something they can't. So it's really, really important that you connect and become friendly and network with other side hustlers. If you are a side hustler, um, if you are a bigger shop than them, which we'll go into, if you're anything above this, same exact reasons. You could probably produce more. You can probably produce faster. You can probably produce different things that they can. So you're going to want that referral business. So many of our customers get referral business from smaller shops to bigger shops. There are so many referrals going up that, um, up that chain. The smaller you are, you often are referring up, especially as you know, you get a small contract that's 20 shirts. Then all of a sudden that company comes back and they've grown and now they want 300 shirts. Maybe doing 300 shirts isn't your forte with your technology. So you outsource that. And with that, with that happening, you've got to make sure that you're friends with people that are side hustlers to get those referral business. So um, let's go ahead and, um, oh, actually, you know, I, one more thing about the side hustler. If you are um, a, a bigger or longer, uh, um, I'm sorry, if you've been in business longer or you're a bigger shop or you're, no, or you're full time and you're dealing with side hustlers, um, you are definitely going to be... Um, better understanding of the technology. You should be better at the sales of it. You should know more. You should have more knowledge. So with that, make sure you use that. If you are selling, if one of your customers decides to go, Oh, I met somebody who has a small part-time shop, use all those skills that you've built to get yourself to full-time to sell against them because you are probably going to be better at everything because the side hustler 
is maybe new to this business, right? Or they haven't done it for as many hours as you have. So it, your experience should make you um, more likely to get the business. Okay. So uh, next move up is the mom and pop. That's what I refer to this. Um, it's typically, I'm going to say this is a two person shop. It's typically going to be a married couple. Um, it might also just be two best friends or a couple of cousins or some neighbors who've become good friends over the years and decided to open up a little business in, um, in the, the garage together, right? This shop is typically small. Um, it might still be home-based, probably is, or garage-based or something like that. Um, it's typically also, I'm going to say you're at this level when it's full time for one or both of the owners, right? So it's full time for the husband, the wife still works as, or vice versa, right? Um, or full time for both of you at that point in time, um, the, you're a mom and pop shop is what I would refer to, to refer to. So a small business, that's actually a business, but you don't necessarily have employees, um, unless they're your kids, right? <laughs> um, so so let's talk a little bit about the pros of a mom and pop, right? A mom and pop shop is just going to have their customer service is going to be the best, right? Um, they know how to build personal relationships. That's how they've gotten their business to be a full-time job for them. Um, they've got tons of repeat customers. Um, they're probably an expert in their field. So if they're embroiderers, they know how to do embroidery and they know how to make it look good. Um, they have fought this business probably up through some of these stages. Even they maybe started it as a hobby, then did it part-time. Now they're full-time. So, um, they've probably been a side hustler as well. You know, they've probably, they were probably both working or one of them started working part-time. So they moved past that side hustler stage, uh, uh, a mom and pop shop. I mean, they, they know what they're doing. They're tough. They've been through some business. Um, now, some of the cons of a mom and pop shop are, you know, they don't operate necessarily as a traditional business does, right? So they probably don't have a marketing budget. Um, they probably don't have any staff. Um, and they're going to probably have some limitations on what they can or can't do. They're probably not just going to on a whim decide to, um, buy a hundred thousand dollar piece of equipment, right? They are typically going to move particularly slow. Their personal finances are probably still intertwined with their business finances. So they, there is some volatility to that business, even though they really know what they're doing. There's a little bit of, of volatility to their business too. So if you are a mom and pop shop, you really want to do what you can to make sure you're separating your finances out from your personal and your business, right? So in case you have a personal struggle, your business doesn't die and vice versa, right? You, um, you want these to be maintained separately. Um, and, but at the same time, you probably have a really strong net of business and referral that you've been growing over the time. So mom and pop is, is, has got plenty of strengths, but there are some weaknesses behind there. And because it's only a one or two person business, um, the health or well-being of each person in the business is, can affect the longevity of the business too. So you also want to look to what are going to be some growth and backup plans for you. Let's just say if, um, my brother, for example, just, he just broke his wrist, right? His right hand is out. Well, what are your, what's your business going to do if you lose one um, one of your four hands for uh, the next six weeks, right? So um, that's a good thing to consider to help maintain the strength and longevity of your mom and pop business. So how, if you're dealing with other mom and pops or you're a 
side hustler or a larger business and you have a mom and pop you're going up against, right? So um, same answer as the two that I just mentioned before, right? You've got to be friends with mom and pop businesses. They are amazing at building relationships in general. That's how they've made it. Um, they are going to refer in and out business. They're going to get referral business and they're going to give referral business. Um, one of the best things you could do is find mom and pop shops that do things that you don't do and find mom and pop shops that you have things that they don't do. Cause that's going to be the best way to get referrals. Your best um, way of dealing with an uh, with a mom and pop shop is going to be that's your competition is going to be finding ones that you can have this ebb and flow back and forth relationship with. So, um, in regards to um, selling against, say, a mom and pop shop, I find that it's if you're trying to get one of their customers, that's probably it's probably going to be hard, right? They've got good relationships typically, but if one one of your customers is going to them then I imagine that at this point in time, it's just a battle of who they like more, who they trust more. That's really just it. So if you're, lose, if you're a mom and pop or a, uh, a part-time, uh, I don't even know what, oh, the side hustler. <laughs> I forgot my own words. Um, if you're a side hustler and you have, you're going to lose business to a mom and pop shop or you're a mom and pop shop and you're about to lose business to another pop, mom and pop shop, it's probably because they like this other person better. Um, and that hurts a little bit, you know, it's sad. <laughs> but that's probably why, because all of these small businesses here, this it's all relationship selling. It's through referrals and it's through um, being a good salesperson and it's through doing quality work. So if you're up against a mom and pop shop, you've got to make sure, are your relationships solid? If your relationships with your customers are not solid, do a better job, right? Communicate with your customers, meet with them, network with them, make sure they're happy all the time. In addition to that, you've got to hone your skills. You've got to be really good at making t-shirts, really good at making hats. If your digitizing never looks that good, stop doing it yourself, right? We've got um, at Coldesi, we've got coldesigraphics.com. Go there, start doing your digitizing through there, right? Get your digitizing better. Um, same thing with your graphics. If your graphics don't look good, you got to shore all that stuff up because nobody's ever going to leave you if you've got a good relationship with them and... Um, the quality of your work. They're never going to shop. And if, if somebody else approaches them, they're probably not going to listen to it because you've got that relationship and they're happy every time. Um, there's no reason for them to leave, right? And we all know businesses like that, that we work with now, right? That could be anything from um, your dentist, you know, to uh, somebody who, who does your lawn to whatever it might be. Um, you're just not going to leave them because you're happy, right? So keep your customers happy. And that's how, um, that's how you deal with that. So uh, the next step up in business, I'm going to say, I call it small but fierce. Um, this is the next level up after a mom and pop, right? This business, um, it might still just be mom and pop, by the way, right? Um, but it's got upgrades. Um, this business operates with like true profit in mind. It's got monthly and annual budgets. It, ma it makes decisions not based on personal finances, but on business plans. Um, it's a pretty nice place to be. There's some strength in this business right here. Um, you have um, truly intelligent and seasoned professionals running these businesses, you know, as a pro, um, they know how to sell, they know how to deal with competition, you know, how to be profitable. If this is you right now, you're in a really good position. And, um, I would just say, continue that maintain that, 
Um, uh, it doesn't mean don't grow or shrink how much business you do, right? That's up to you on, on what the size of your business, but continue that mindset, have profit in mind, have um, goals in mind, have budgets, have, have your finances all set up, right? Have um, sales goals, you know, have methodologies on how you do things. So if you've gotten to that point, you've got to maintain it. A lot of um, customers that we see that are um, small but fierce, the only time they go out of business is because they choose to, well, I want to retire, right? You know, um, which is fine. Or um, they lose one of those, right? They, they lose their ability to um, stay diligent in their finances. They don't set goals. They don't try to get more business, right? Um, because they lost a big customer and they had no plan for that. They haven't tried to sell a new customer in years and now they're basically rebuilding from scratch. So um, some of the cons of being this business and if you are dealing with um, a small but fierce business as one of your competitions, um, since this is a, a really true um, business, you know, to, to its core, um, it does lose flexibility, right? It loses a little bit. They are probably going to stick with certain supplier, suppliers that they work with. So if your customer wants a particularly unique shirt, um, they might not even bother to, right? Um, they just say, listen, this is who I buy from. I'm not going to go hunting for a shirt for you. Um, they, they are definitely set in their ways, their methodology, how they do things, how they deliver things, how they do, how they do artwork, what type of fees they charge. They're typically stuck, and they're probably not going to bend on a lot of those things. Um, and the reason why they're not is because that's what's helped to get them where they are. So um, a small but fierce business is going to have a little bit less flexibility where if you are just a mom and pop shop or you are um, – I don't even know why I can't remember a side hustler. <laughs> so anyway, but if you're a mom and pop shop or you're a side hustler and you're dealing with this small but fierce business, remember that you've probably got more flexibility than them in whatever it might be, right? Uh, you probably, and if you're, especially if you're trying to grow your business, you might be willing to do work Sunday night at eight o'clock where that small business is, no, we operate our business between 10 and 10 and seven Monday through Friday or Tuesday through Saturday, right? They, they're probably going to be a little more rigid where you have flexibility. That's how you can um, win against, get up, uh, gain customers from small but fierce businesses is through your flexibility. And they also have a lot of clients, right? They probably have a lot of clients. They've probably been in business for a while. So their pool of clients is large. That's a strength for them. But also at the same time, that's a little bit of a weakness because they can't have that same relationship that you can have if you are a smaller business than them. They, they might have a thousand customers. You might have uh, 60, right? You can maintain a relationship. You can call all 60 of those people every month. You can personally email. You can probably visit all 60 of those people within a month. So you can maintain and build relationships better if you're a smaller business. Um, if you're another small but fierce business, it's going to be all about just how well you do things, right? Just like anything else. Um, how, well are, how well are you at pricing, at selling, um, at maintaining quality within your work, delivering on time, um, not over-promising and over-delivering. It's all just the basics at that point in time. If you're a small but fierce business and you're going up another small but fierce business, the winner is just going to be the one who's better. 
typically, right? Um, so know how to sell, know how to produce things, know how to do a really good job and keep your relationships with your customers. Um, another thing you can do if you are um, particularly smaller a business, right? You're like you're just, it's just you. Um, you're a side hustler or it's just a mom and pop, you know, shop and you are dealing with competing against a small but fierce business. This might be a, they might have a storefront and you're operating in your garage. They might have um, a couple of employees even. Um, they might've been in business for 25 years, right? What you can do is, is you can build up that kind of, Hey, I'm the owner of this business. I'm trying to grow my business. I'm trying to build a good personal relationship with you. I'm personally going to take your order, order the shirts, make the shirts myself, and then deliver them to you. This is just me trying to do better for myself. And use that compassion. If they like you and they want to see you succeed, people will want to buy from you, right? So um, it's a little bit harder to do that with maybe some of those small but fierce businesses because they might not be talking to the owner right? They might be talking to an employee that works there and they may never talk to an owner. So there's a lot of interesting things to think about there. Um, now we've got one more. I call it the big leagues. This category is really broken down into probably a hundred different categories, but we can talk for the sake of this conversation, we can really just talk about them as one. Um, it's a multi-shop owner. They've probably got hundreds of thousand dollars worth of equipment. They have very um, built-in processes right? So they've got automation built in, they've got boards with orders, they have, um, they probably have some software that's helping them actually um, take orders and process orders and some things like that. So this is a, this is a particularly big business. They have a true sales force. They have salespeople, production people, probably levels of management. Um, the pros of, of these businesses, they know how to win because they got there right? They really know how to win. Um, the owners and management and stuff is tenacious. That's how they got where they are. Um, they can oftentimes really hone in their costs to bring the retail price down and still maintain a healthy margin where smaller shops can't necessarily do that. And I'll explain uh, in a very simple example. So if you're a particularly small shop, right? Um, you probably are not going to have, um, let's say like a shirt, like I'm wearing right here, right? I think this is a district T DT one Oh four shirt. Um, if I'm a really small shop, I think this is like, uh, uh, forgive me, forgive me for not remembering the, um, uh, all the colors, but if it's probably 15, 20 colors and five or six sizes, right? Um, I'm probably not going to carry all that in stock. That seems pretty unreasonable for me as a small business because I'm, it's going to cost me $5,000 to keep that. Um, I'm probably, I might not even keep the most popular colors in stock. I might just keep some black and white, but if you're, if it's a big league type of business, they can afford to have five or 10 or $15,000 in inventory of apparel. They can have this on the shelf. So they can have this DT 104, and maybe the five most popular colors in the five most popular sizes in their shop. So um, if that's the case, they can keep all of that in stock, right? And when you go to place an order with them, they don't have to worry about ordering the shirts and if they're paying a shipping charge and making sure, okay, well, I'm going to order 20 of these shirts. Um, that's going to cost me $10 in shipping, 50 cents a piece, right? You're kind of following some of that math. Um, 
And and with that with that being the case, then uh, they're going to go ahead and be able to bring that price down and offer the apparel actually um, at a cheaper price. It's just something that they can do. And there's a hundred other reasons why they can buy their ink in bulk. Um, they can buy the, all of those things, right? So they can bring some costs down. So they have a lower price. That's probably one of their biggest advantages too. And that's where we'll hear. Um, I can't compete because I can't compete with this giant screen print shop down the road. I can't compete with their price. All right, so let's talk about some of the cons and why you can compete. So um, they are looking to be like the Titanic, right? It's hard to turn these ships. If there is a roadblock ahead, if there's danger ahead, it's hard to get this business to completely shift the way they do things. Um, if some, if a customer comes and throws a curveball in there of something weird, they probably don't have a process to do that efficiently, and they're probably not going to want to waste their time with it. If a customer comes back with a really small order, probably not going to waste their time with it as well. So um, they're strong businesses, um, but they need they operate in a very specific way typically. Okay, um, they also when when uh, the economy flows up and down. All right, they are at a particular risk to to really fall apart because it's harder for them to operate on a shoestring budget. If you've got lots of equipment, lots of rental space, lots of employees, you need to have lots of sales in to maintain that. Um, if you're a smaller business, you might be able to afford to sustain um, a slow a slower economy longer. If you are a um, if you're somebody who's a side hustler, that was the first thing we talked about, right? Is that you can operate on a super shoestring budget, so you'll stay in business. So a con of the big league businesses is that they need to make sure that they're really prepared to weather whatever storm can come up. And uh, that you can, if you are not a big league business and you're smaller, you are more malleable, which means that you're going to be able to weather storms better. You're going to be able to take orders other customers are the other uh, businesses are not willing to do. You're going to be able to offer a personal touch that they might not be able to do. And also you get to appeal to that um, empathy and likability by saying, I'm the owner of the business. I run it. I talk to you. I make my t-shirts. My son and I make the t-shirts together, you know, whatever it might be. And you really get to appeal to that sense of, um, Hey, I'm helping a small business. And, and nowadays, especially, um, small helping local small businesses is really in right now, right? It's just cool. You, these t-shirts, you know, buy local beer t-shirts and things like that. There's really a growing culture of buying local. So if you're a small business, you compete against the big leagues by saying, Hey, I'm a small business. It's just me. You know, it's just me and my cousin, you know, whatever it is. So, um, so that's kind of some of the cons of, and the ways to deal with these big businesses. Um, one of the things I wanted to say about dealing with them though, is um, you might not even have to, <laughs> um, honestly, they are typically tied up in specific niches and just don't go in there, right? If you know that there's a bunch of sharks in the water, you don't swim in that water. You go to a different place. So if there are two or three big league shops that are doing all the youth sports in your area, and uh, it seems like it's a hard place to compete, that, I wouldn't choose that as my first place to compete. Um, there might be an argument on why you would and how you could, but I don't know if that would be my first choice. I would look into other niches where they aren't. So maybe there's motorcycle clubs or maybe there's, um, there's nobody really dealing with say the dance or cheer locally, um, in your town. They're big into the little league and the pop Warner football and all that type of stuff, but they're not dealing with 
um, some of the small, like the adult sports, for example, you know, adult, uh, um, softball leagues and things like that. So find, find a niche that they're not in and you're going to have to go up against them less. Um, they also might just be an online business. They also, or they might be a corporate account business. So they're dealing with giant corporate accounts and doing, um, t-shirts for grocery store chains and things like that. You're not in that world. So you might not even have to compete. And I'll tell you what, um, there are so many of these really big league businesses that you've never heard of, right? Um, that you didn't even know exist that are making hundreds of thousands of shirts a month because there are so many niches and so many businesses out there and you, you've just, you don't even know they exist. They, and they could be in your town, right? It's really interesting. And I just know this from being in the business. We have customers that they are located in one town. All of their business is on the other side of the country with some big corporate accounts. So um, so that's kind of it. Um, I would say do not try to drive your costs all the way down to compete against those big league businesses because they will win. All right. They will typically win in that battle because if they're doing 100,000 shirts in a month, let's just say, and you're doing 1,000 shirts in a month, they can afford to lose money on a thousand shirt order possibly just to keep that business in house and worry about it next time. Um, or you can't. So I wouldn't try to race to the bottom on money, but then you're not going to win that way. You're going to win with customization, personalization, relationship building, um, and we're dealing in niches that maybe they're not, you're not directly competing against them. And if you are competing against them in particular niches, you're offering something that they cannot. Um, I can think of one small business where, um, she does a lot of uh, cheer and dance type of stuff. Um, and in this business, she actually doesn't, isn't doing the schools like this. Um, the, I'm sorry, isn't doing like competition wear or anything like that. So not making the bags, not making the uniforms, um, nothing like that. Only doing supporting apparel for the fans. So for moms and dads and little sisters and big brothers and things like that. And that's the niche that they operate in. So even though they're directly in a spot, in, in, in a niche with a big league company, they are not competing with them because the big league company is not offering the, um, the, you know, the daughter's name on a shirt with their, you know, very specific things like that. One's, you know, doing individual shirts. Um, they're not doing that. They're doing bulk, expensive, uniform, uniform type of stuff. So they can offer a different product than uh, what the big leagues are going to offer. So that's, that's another way to deal with them and compete with them. So now that you know, you've kind of know the different types of apparel businesses, according to me, at least, um, I, I believe I'm qualified in understanding this through um, having dealt with thousands of businesses over um, the years I've been doing this. So I think it's really important that you understand this too and kind of break down how I thought about it and really understand how you compete against these businesses, um, which one you are, where you want to be in the future, and how you're going to get there. So if you are a hobbyist and you'd like to be a small but fierce shop, then you've got to understand, you know, kind of maybe some of the levels you need to go through and where you need to get to be there. Um, whether you want that to be in the next year or the next five years, you got to figure out what your goals are, and they are perfectly fine to always stay as a side hustle or to get all the way up to the big leagues. It's completely up to you. There's room for all of these businesses and the custom apparel industry. They all have strengths and weaknesses that complement each other. 
which is why all of these businesses flourish, which is why we've got hobbyists that just have a ton of fun and are able to, and can afford to do it, right? Because the big businesses buy so much equipment and supplies that it's affordable. There's a demand for it. So hobbyists can have fun. Um, It's affordable to be able to finance equipment so people who want to side hustle and just make a little bit of extra money every month, they can do it. If, uh, if people want to grow up the size of their business, they can do that because of the volatility of all these different businesses as well. Businesses are going to grow. Some are going to shrink. Some are going to go out of business. People are going to retire. That side hustler who had um, two, $3,000 worth of business got promoted to vice principal and said, I don't want to do that anymore. And now that business gets dispersed to somebody else or possibly handed to you because you've built a good relationship. So thanks for listening to this episode of Custom Apparel Startups. My name is Mark Vila, and hopefully next time um, we'll have Mark Stevenson with me too. And have a good business.